Come on up. You have traveled far and wide and reached new heights to simply relax with us. Just be sure not to break any vases that may be worth 8 million yen on your way up here. Up on the lookout. Lookout is a podcast related to Dragon Ball with more potential to be relaxed and not necessarily about being a hard hitting interview style show that wants to know information all of the time. If you've been enjoying our interviews, then do leave us a rating and review on your respective podcasting platforms of choice, and we will endeavor to improve even more. Joining myself, Marsico X, is my trusty associate, Haverock. Hello, I am the least famous part of this podcast. What is for sure, silly. As well as our guest for today. She is essentially one of the major contributors to most of the favorite anime in your selections on whatever streaming software you use. And I'm not just talking about the voice acting. A long-serving ADR director of animation, she can also be waxing lyrical on the stage to the words of English literature. It can only be Caitlin Glass. Hey, Caitlin. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Don't mind the lookout being a little bit breezy up here. Mind you, it's actually been really hot lately. You know what I mean, like, I think、uh, it's 27 degrees here, which is in your money up in the low 80s right now. I have to do all these calculations. I, I ask so many people in America that I just have to make sure that I go like Fahrenheit, Celsius, even though I didn't learn Fahrenheit in school. Yeah, you know, it, it's. <laughs> Bless you for doing it because I think that is when, no matter how intelligent you may be or how many degrees you have, if you don't know like the metric calculations and stuff, suddenly you're just a big idiot. Like yesterday, I had to look up some centimeter to inches conversion and I'm like, oh my gosh, I have a degree. What is this? <laughs> Well, the thing is, though, if you, if you don't use that information, then you, it just sort of just goes out there because it's just either filled with like, you know, stuff you got to do for the day, like some things you just find on the internet and just all those, you know, life hack things you really need to try. Like, for example, I basically have just been obsessed with this three ingredient, like cookies and cream fudge recipe. And I'm just like, why am I obsessed about this thing? But then I tried it and it's like, the chocolate really matters. <laughs> Just condensed milk,、uh, white chocolate, and Oreo. Boom, you're done. Your Brits and your, and your magical pastries. Well, it's not pastries, it's just literally fudge. Three ingredients, boom, done. You don't even actually need to put anything in the oven, which is even better. Yeah, even said that I am actually the one who does most of the cooking. Philly, my now wife, actually, she does.、Uh, A mean selection of slow cooker recipes, which is always very good to have. Let's just get things rolling on to the main topics and stuff. So, with that, let's get started. So, Caitlin, it's been like years since we actually got to see each other in person. And I, I still remember the first time we actually properly hung out because I know that we've, we, we, Passed each other sometimes at Yomacon, like a few、right. times, because you were a regular guest there, as were we back in like, the early 2010s. We went to a London convention, and I think you, you really didn't, you didn't have anyone with you. And、uh, we just thought, well, you know, why don't you come and hang out with us and our group and stuff? A chance to have a bite to eat at a certain chicken place, which has become very well remembered. Yeah, so like getting some Nando's. Ah.、Uh. The best, the best. We all still remember it to this day. It was all like a really nice evening of just like, let's just sit back and just have chats and stuff. Not like the old thing of do the voice. Thank God. <laughs> we're all people and we're just like done a busy day ourselves. And we're just like, can we just get something to eat, please? Something preferably chicken related or just something, something just so that means we can just like quietly just 
eat. It was great. It was great. It's just a shame that there's not more of that kind of stuff. I can imagine Nando's going down really well in Texas. You know, we like chicken here. There is a Nando's in D.C. I remember I was at uh, Katsukan a couple years ago, and you can just walk right over to it. And that was fantastic. It was so nice uh, to get to go. It it had such um, nostalgia for me. My husband doesn't really care for it. I don't know why. But I think the reason I like it so much is because I have good memories of the place. Um eating there with you guys that one year. And then I think just a year later, I went back to England for another convention and I brought a voice actress friend with me, Tia Ballard. And I'm like, we have to go to this chicken restaurant. And (laughs) so of course, of course we did. Um, Great memories then too. And just anytime I see any of you crew, we we can't not talk about Nando's. Although having said that, you know, whenever I've been in Texas, like my my friend Scott, he's always just like, you know, let's go out to lunch sometime. Like we always go into like Fast and Furious and uh, I declare, you know, I, I declare is it's that's always very good. Like uh, their waffles there is like, oh my god, that's absolutely heavenly for breakfast. Seriously, Fast and Furious is in my neighborhood up in Greenville. And literally, it was pretty Fast and Furious and stuff. What definitely has been Fast and Furious as well has been the transition. Uh, in the voice acting world to something really, really bizarre, yet also something really close to home for anybody out there who is dabbling in amateur voice acting. The idea of what it's been like to make these simul dubs and stuff um, under lockdown. And we were dabbling about this with Damon in the previous episode. And it was a very interesting transition to move from the studio to your own home office. And it obviously depends on what software and equipment that you have. But seeing that you, Caitlin, as an ADR director, especially with your know, recent titles as such as the, you know, reimagining of Fruits Basket, how has it been to really kind of like get back to some sort of normality, really, in terms of like shifting the production from basically you being the director? It's been an experience. I I don't want to speak negatively because I'm so grateful to have a job right now and to still be working and to be able to give work to actors is fantastic. So I'm really proud of Funimation for doing whatever they could to get actors working, actors who may not have had the equipment themselves. Um, But, you know, we need our shows to still happen and they still need to make money to pay the rent. So what can we do? Um, How can we mutually work together to to make that a reality? Um, But it is very difficult uh, under the current setups that we're using as a director to stay focused because I'm all alone. Um, Personally, I am a a collaborative worker. So I like being able to have my engineer right next to me. And when the mic is off and the actor can't hear me, I can discuss things with the engineer. And um, in this case, we're all, all three of us in different places. I'm at my home, engineers at their home, actor is at their home. And uh, there's a lot more responsibility placed on the actor uh, to deal with the timing and the engineering of the session, basically. So the engineer is there uh, to assist, and uh, and I'm there to listen. But 
I think with Fruits Basket in particular, it's a very, ooh, it's a show where you really need to feel connected to your character and also to the other characters. And not being in a booth and having the same type of uh, what do I want to call it? Not quality control, because everybody's still being a good actor. But, you know, you just can't hear as well as you can when I'm back at the studio. Yeah, it's that. And it's just having more fine-tuned control of every single uh, voice that you interact with, like when you are the performer. Um, it's just it's hard. It's hard <laughs> to feel like you're truly in the story because you have so many other things to think about. Normally, what's great about being a voice actor, particularly in dubs, is you just come in and you don't have to have really prepared anything. You show up. You just have to have your head in the game and then you get to live as your character for the next hour or two hours. Uh, but under these circumstances, when you are the actor, you are also um, managing your session and uh, dealing with the software and all of that. And while I know that plenty of uh, voice actors have home studios and when they're doing their own auditions or even some indie projects, they're already um, they're doing everything that I just explained. But for dubs and for Funimation, I think what makes them great is the fact that an actor can come in and they only have to focus on their character. So it's been a challenge. I think that we're rising to the occasion, but I know that I am very anxious. I look forward to getting back into the proper booth. <laughs> we do fully understand that there is that studio atmosphere because I, I remember going into recording stuff for a sound cadence and just having that connection with like Scott and Amber. They're just on the other side of the booth, uh, recording for Hells, for example. That was a very, very trippy thing, but it was really important having Scott's direction. Basically, I could see him. So having that connection and yeah, having a webcam is all very well and good. But like you said, it is a real challenge to just have the actors on that screen. And they're basically having to look at five or six different like controls and like different applications open and stuff. I think I saw like on one Instagram story, like a picture just like of the screen. I was like, oh, geez. Wow. That's a lot of things that could go absolutely wrong at any certain thing. Yeah. But out of all of this, has there been anything that you've learned through this process to either streamline it for once it's safe to come back to the studio or whether it would be just going back to business as usual? Um, you know, and I cannot speak for the company. This is just Caitlin speaking for herself and what she'd like. I hope that what we have discovered with the software that we found and the kits that we've sent out to people um, could allow for... Perhaps just an, an easing up of the workload, uh, but mainly, I mean, as far as schedules are concerned, I, I feel the pressure as a director to go to work as often as possible, even though I have an assistant, you know, if I need to take a day because I'm sick or I need to go uh, take my dog to the vet or you know whatever I might need. I really just want to be there all the time directing all my own stuff. And I think that with the setups we have now, maybe it could allow for us to one day a week as a director be able to work from home. Engineer can still go to the studio actor could still go to the studio but you know I need to be here because some guy's coming to fix my toilet or you know you know that though to manage the work life balance uh better for me I commute to work about 45 minutes a day uh going and then 45 minutes to an hour coming home 
So what's really relaxing about this situation is like I just get up and I'm still getting up at about the same time every day. But now the morning time is my own. Uh, it's not like eat real fast, get dressed, get out the door, sit in traffic. It's no, I can get up. I can make breakfast. I can sit. I can play Animal Crossing for a little bit. I can relax with my dogs. Oh, look, it's it's 10 a.m. Time to go to work. Um, so I, I just hope that for our own sanity because we we work a lot we work on we direct two shows at a time uh that are simul dubs and then we often have our previous simul dubs coming back around for home video so we're going over them again and uh, perfecting them because often there are changes made to the animation so we have to adjust so i think the most i've worked on at one time is about five shows at once that's a lot of things to be swimming around in your head um so I'm like, wouldn't it be nice if just every Wednesday I could do my job from my bed in my pajamas? <laughs> that That's what I hope happens. And I also hope that this scenario opens the door for us to utilize more actors that we previously hadn't been able to use because of their location. Um, my diary is looking relatively clear, I must say, Caitlin. <laughs> good to know, good to know. <laughs> I'm teasing, I'm teasing, but you're absolutely right there. It's just very important. And a lot of people uh, that I know are friends of ours. They, they work up in London and they commute in all the time. And it's absolutely intense trying to get in on the underground and stuff like that. But now we basically had instructions from our government to say, ideally don't use public transport. And people have actually been really sticking to it. But at the same time, having that ability to actually talk to your employer and go like, hey, I don't either feel comfortable coming in right now, but I still want to work. Or it's all about having that like trust uh, trust uh, mechanic with it. And seriously, I've been around Texas and the, uh, the, the highways, I've seen all those spaghetti junctions and stuff. It's maddening. And I've been in that traffic. So I absolutely feel you there. Right. Every day. Because I live in Dallas proper, so yeah, I got to drive drive west, northwest about 40 minutes. So, mm-hmm. It's really good to know that just from a different perspective that things have been able to adapt. Let's then adapt our style of podcasting to go to the main topic, which is mainly focusing on you, Caitlin. Let's head over there. This is coming from somebody who's only recently become a dog person because it was really talking with Philly that um, I was just playing with our new uh, bearded collie named uh, Uffa. Yeah, those things you said two weeks ago, I'm not sure whether I'll love this dog. Are you going to recant that? And I went, yes, yes, I will. It's just the thing is, I I used to live next to uh, three German shepherds and there was a hole in my fence when I was eight and they came running for me. So that was enough to scar me for a very long time. But now I can actually see the appeal. And of course, when we are actually hanging out, seeing pictures of your French bulldogs, that they're absolutely adorable. Thank you. Would you describe yourself as a devotee or a breed that you really just can gel with? Our oldest dog, Torito, is 10 now. And I think that uh, French Bulldogs are definitely the breed that suits my husband and I. So um, we'll probably continue to get French Bulldogs our whole life. At the same time, uh, I recognize the problems with the breeding of dogs. And I do sometimes feel guilty. Um, We have a male and a female and we got the female because we love the male so much and his temperament is really amazing. And we thought we need another dog just like him. So let's get a female and make that happen. 
Well, because Frenchies are essentially genetically modified dogs over the, you know, they can have a lot of problems such that they can't even uh, make puppies without assistance. So, like, that's another expense. And then they also cannot give birth to said puppies except via cesarean section. And our female ends, ended up having just some problems with her breathing and et cetera. So she's not really a good candidate uh, to have puppies. And then I just don't want to put her through that. And then I feel bad about getting even any more French bulldogs knowing what the animals have gone through just so I can have this adorable thing that looks a certain way and acts a certain way. I don't know when it comes time to get more dogs in our life, if we'll get more Frenchies or if we'll go just to a shelter and get a dog. We're definitely dog people. Yeah, of course. And now I can actually fully uh, understand that now because uh, the same with Uffa. She is a pedigree bearded collie. And uh, a lot of people really like her because they, they get really shaggy and they, they're often mistaken with old English sheepdogs, like the, the Dulux dog, essentially, the, of the, on the, what, those, those dogs on the paint can. There's a weird thing with with British advertising. We always want to associate stuff with dogs. Like there's the Dulux dog. There's the Andrex puppy, which is basically a brand of toilet paper. It's <laughs> just these cute little golden retriever puppies. I I and most of the ads are just them basically rolling out these rolls of toilet paper, causing absolute mischief. But then it's a puppy, so you can't be too mad at it. So you therefore <laughs> buy the product. I don't know what's up with that. Yeah, so despite anime being a huge part of your repertoire, you also do dabble in theatre acting, most notably Shakespeare. Because I, I have I have noticed a lot of that on your many feeds. What, what sparked this fascination? And let me guess, did it have something to do with college? Uh, I've been into Shakespeare since high school probably um it's required reading in high schools in the states each year in your uh, english class you'll focus on a different play so that's kind of how um i came to be fascinated with shakespeare my senior year in high school i had a really amazing uh english teacher and i was a bit of a I don't want to say a nerd. It's strange to have like plenty of friends, but still not really know where you fit in. So I would spend a lot of my lunch hours, my senior year in high school, in my English teacher's classroom talking about Shakespeare. <laughs> That's the kind of person that I was. <laughs> um, but she was great, really just gave me a lot of insight and read this and look up that. And I was learning more things from her in those lunch chats than I was in my classes. And that doesn't mean that the, the classes were not educational. That just wasn't the focus. We had a lot of things to cover uh, in English class, including the language, not just Shakespeare and his life. Um, so that's kind of what started the fascination with it. And then in college, yes, we did some um, some productions. I was in Twelfth Night my freshman year of college. And I went, oh, yes, let more of this, please. But since it was a, a program that was focusing on us being well-rounded in uh, all facets of performance, it wasn't just let's learn how to do Shakespeare and only Shakespeare or classical acting only. So I had intended to go to graduate school so that I could focus on Shakespeare and classical acting. But 
anime found me instead. <laughs> so I followed that because I was also interested in it. It wasn't just uh, a random like, well, I guess I'll do that. No, I, I was I was about it. And I recognized that the opportunity doesn't come along every day. Not everyone goes on a tour of Funimation and then leaves with a job. So I thought I should probably stick with this for as long as possible. And now I'm still doing it. <laughs> uh, I think I'm currently in my 17th year of um, voice acting and directing and the anime industry. Uh, coming back to Shakespeare uh, for a moment, what's your favorite play? I'll always come back to Hamlet. I know it may seem cliche, like everybody loves Hamlet. No, I really do love Hamlet. <laughs> and uh, and I love Othello. I love the tragedies a lot. And I'm currently working on a Julius Caesar production. More on that later. Now, personally, um, I studied um, Shakespeare in uh, sixth form college, which is basically like a senior year, roughly. And uh, I think the one play that I really resonated with was Much Ado About Nothing. We studied the the text and then we watched the Kenneth Branagh film from 1993. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's just absolutely great seeing like the likes of Richard Briers and Emma Thompson and Kenneth Branagh just going off on one. But then I think our entire class was basically just ragging on Claudio, basically just being such a big whiny baby. That's true. Like so many different times. It's just like, I, I don't know whether it was the interpretation of the movie itself or anything like that, but it was just really crazy. But it, that's certainly something that I, that was probably one of my favorite uh, Shakespeare plays. But also incidentally, have you ever been to Vancouver in Canada? Yes. Oh, right. Are, are you uh, by any means uh, acquainted with the, uh, with the Shakespeare troupe known as Bard on the Beach? No, that sounds super fun. Oh, oh, well, basically it's run by one of my mum's like oldest friends, like, you know, uh, their little brother, his name's Christopher. And basically he moved to Vancouver about like 60 years ago and he set up this troupe of Shakespearean actors. And now they basically like on the uh, west coast of Vancouver, like near the Pacific, they have this huge tent and they basically do these semi-outdoor alternative interpretations of Shakespeare plays. And it's just so relaxed and stuff. So if you ever go to Vancouver again, I seriously recommend it because I went to go and see like a modern take on Taming of the Shrew. It's always really nice to be able to kind of just like go up to town uh, and go and visit the globe. So that's always really nice. I was in London, I think summer of 2018, and I had been to the Globe before, but I hadn't actually seen a production because it didn't fit into my schedule. But that summer that I was there, I did get to see uh, The Winter's Tale, which is a strange show to see in the summer. But um, it was amazing. The most amazing thing. That place is spectacular. And if I could do anything, like if I had to just quit my job tomorrow for some reason and it wasn't, you know, coronavirus <laughs> everywhere, I would I would move to London in a heartbeat and just study and do whatever I could to to perform on that stage before I die. What an amazing place. Let's move on to something a little bit more in keeping with Dragon Ball. But you do still have a passion for the erudite and the sophisticated, so no wonder the character of Vardos was right for you. Because, quite frankly, it actually became sort of like a mini joke on uh, on my channel, basically. Uh, I think it was just one of these various things during the Tournament of Power, and... Uh, Vados was being particularly sassy, even more sassy than usual. And uh, we had the hashtag sassy Vados. Ah, yay, good. Vados, though, wasn't actually your first Dragon Ball role. And I am so sorry that you were in this one. You were in Bio Broly, 
and you were playing a character. It was back in 2005. I don't expect you to remember that entirely. I remember. It was a quick little thing. It being relatively quick, that's absolutely fine because that was not a good movie. <laughs> it was not a good movie at all. So, no, 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 no. It's basically, oh, yeah, Broly comes back as uh, a clone but then turns into Blob, which then is killed by water. Vardos is far better. But how did you actually find yourself in that role um, going uh, into the new series of Dragon Ball Super? Christopher Sabat just offered it to me. I think uh, he had, he said he'd been looking for some way to get me into the series for a number of years, but didn't want to just give me a, a throwaway or one-off episodic character or even one that was just for a little small arc. So he was just kind of biding his time until the right character came along, and then uh, she did. The first thing I did as Vados actually was for one of the video games. Yeah, Xenoverse 2, I think. They knew that Super the show was coming and these characters would need to be cast. And so the first work I did as her uh, was in the game. I remember that the games were very important in gaining an understanding about what particular characters were doing what, because there was an example of uh, Goku Black. Uh, in this one and uh, because in the uh, original uh, interpretation of it because again the anime hadn't really come out yet entirely it was like Goku he's this happy-go-lucky kind of guy and then they basically turn him it's like the whole idea of like uh, Christian Bale Batman as in I'm Goku now (laughs) right just like but obviously these things change but did being part of a game uh, finding the voice there was a bit less pressure because I can imagine with there being loads of lines and not necessarily needing to worry about lip flaps did it help you in some way find your feet with that character? The way that it helped was because I was consistently getting to listen to the Japanese performance and then do it. Japanese and then me for you know however long the session was an hour or two when normally when Vado shows up she doesn't have a terrible lot to say. And if she does, it's just her and Champa speaking to each other or it's in a big crowd scene. So, you know, every 10 lines, I'll have a one liner. So I, uh, I guess to your to your question, I think that it probably did help me come up with the voice, but it was still months later uh, that we actually began recording the show. So I just had to listen back to what we had set in the game. What was the uh, process of finding that voice? Were you trying to like find a kind of uh, similarity to Ian's interpretation of Whis, given the fact that, you know, Vardos and Whis are brother and sister? So uh, Raleigh Pickens, who is an engineer and director for a lot of Super, maybe all of it, he was like, here's Ian, let me play it for you. And I already knew Ian very well from working with him. So I kind of got to hear the things that he was doing with his voice. But I also recognized once I saw Vados's animation that she wasn't quite as ridiculous as him um, and <laughs> that I I imagine her being the sister that knows she's superior to this brother of hers. I kept all of those things in mind and I think maybe Chris Sabat wanted me for this role because of our roles together in Fairy Tale. I don't know this for certain, but uh, he plays Elfman and I play Evergreen and we interact with one another. 
And Evergreen is another uh, very haughty, uh, arrogant character. I would not uh, consider Vados to be arrogant, but I think haughty, certainly, uh, definitely at times. So um, I started there. I started with the voice that I had already established for Evergreen, but gave it a bit more sophistication because I think Evergreen tries too hard, whereas Vados actually is uh, that smart and sophisticated and doesn't really have to prove herself to anyone. That's just how she is. What's great about dubbing is we have this performance by the Japanese and also the animation to inspire what we do. So I just kind of watched the give and take between Vados and and Champa and knew what sort of counterbalance I needed to be to uh, Lord Champa's character. Spot on to what haven't I basically interpret from Vados. And you're absolutely right, really, because Vados is the slightly older sister to Whis. And there are so many times where Vados is just like, oh, I already knew that like ages ago, Whis. You already, you only just learned that. And Whis is just like, oh, come on. There's no need to be so arrogant about it. (laughs) Yeah. Even though angels are meant to be these mysterious, very powerful enigmas within Dragon Ball, which in theory can basically do anything, whatever the writers want them to do at any given point. There is that brotherly connection with the sister. Uh, That connection between the two of them is actually really human and it's actually really refreshing. They always strike me as, you know, as uh, those two twins that one will always uh, say, hey, I'm two minutes uh, older than you. (laughs) And I think that that's the Vados with dynamic, you know, I I always felt it like that. I would agree. I would agree. Yeah. Ian was so excited uh, when I was going to go in to record for the first time because he'd been playing Whis for over a year and he's a huge Dragon Ball fan. Oh, don't we know it? We know that. Psych me up for the recording. So I go in for the first time and I tell Raleigh, well, Ian said this about the character and then I should maybe think about the other characters from this perspective and blah, blah, blah. And I give him this whole spiel based on what Ian had said. And Raleigh goes, yeah, well, I guess you could do that um, or just do whatever you want to do. It's <laughs> like, OK, that's a that's a very Vados decision, you know, in retrospect. Just do whatever I want to do. I'm sure my decision will be much better than Weiss's. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. And another fun aspect to her character that a lot of people don't know about. Um, once the Tournament of Power gets underway, just goofing off with Raleigh, another person I've known for a very long time. Uh we start, we, I don't know who decided this, if it was his idea or mine, or if I just randomly did it and then we took it and ran with it. But the idea is that Vados, this all-powerful angel, is still extremely uh, turned on by muscles and the power of other competitors, especially any character that we don't know much about anyway. It's one thing if it's like Vegeta or Goku, like who cares? We, we've been watching them for years. But uh <laughs> New people who show up, like everything that Vado says in regards to them has a little bit of, oh, look at him in it. <laughs> and just it's all in the subtext. And uh, we had a great time with that. Of course, because the you know, angels live for like eons. Anything new is like something absolutely revolutionary. Yeah, and she has to hang out with, with Chubby Champa all the time, who just like eats and good grief. She's basically having to be like a walking like health app. Angels are basically like Amazon Alexas for Gods of Destruction sometimes. 
Amazon Alexis. That's great. <laughs> you get that idea because like at the Battle of Gods thing, when Beerus is just going like, oh yeah, by the way, Goku, uh, there, there, there's like 12 universes out there. And it's just this throwaway line. And we're left reeling in the movie theaters. And then later on, Whis is just saying, well, by the way, as Lord Beerus actually said, there's actually 12 universes out here. And I'm going to use all these pretty little colored marbles to actually illustrate my point. <laughs> yep. They do act as exposition machines, but at the same time, there are these moments that actually work um, because the brother-sister dynamic, uh, Shamper and Beerus have that. What was that feeling at that time when, in the Tournament of Power, uh, Shampa, uh Universe 6 were about to be erased, and there was that moment when Vardos actually would say goodbye to Shampa in a way. Did you have any experiences like that? Did you get referred to that in the booth? Was that anything that you had to deal with? Uh, well, I remember. I remember recording it, and I remember like my last recording session for Dragon Ball. I think I even took a picture of it and posted it on my Instagram, because it's pretty momentous to be a part of essentially the the biggest franchise in you know anime in the west so it was it was kind it was bittersweet you know i was so grateful but then also sad that it was coming to an end so soon but it's dragon ball so there's never really an end uh, <laughs> fingers fingers crossed there'll just be some more of her oh don't worry i th- i think there will be because vados is very very popular within the community and uh it was actually for a long time when we um we saw the visual, uh, the first like uh, bit of promotional art for Dragon Ball. I remember some of my friends and I, we were trying to debate because we were thinking, oh, this uh, universe, six other fat cat god has an angel as well. So we were like thinking, okay, so we've got Beerus Whis. There's the um, there's the adult drink uh, uh, and, you know, kind of name puns. What could it be for for what then become Vados. And we were just thinking like uh, tequila. So it could be uh, teki, kite, and stuff like that. But yeah, that obviously went to Kitera, who was the god of destruction for Universe 4. We then got Vados after Calvados. Have you actually tried Calvados? I have not. Ooh. Oh, well, I, I, I did like a video like a couple of years ago about uh, drinks of the gods. And it's basically going through all 12 universes and drinking the alcoholic drinks of every single universe. There's still one to do about drinks of the angels. So, you know, I'll, I'll let you know if you can't find a an example of a bit of tipple of Calvados. I must say that this this made all my drinking friends in Polish pretty amused. <laughs> Stick some Crispin cider in front of me and I'm absolutely fine or a gin and tonic. Really loving my Roku gin right now. It's absolutely really, really nice. Always a good gin and tonic in the evenings, especially when a video is done very well that day. <laughs> I was laughing. Is it a proper British drink? Little gin and tonic. <laughs> if there's like an open bar in the green room, I say, hi, can I like get a, you know, gin tonic please sure would you like a hendrix or gordon's and i'm thinking uh, so do you have any whitley meal by the way um uh, bit of roku uh seriously the amount of gins oh sipsmith um a blood orange gin there are so many different flavored gins out there it's crazy just uh, with the amount of there there are going to be countless numbers of angels named after all sorts of drinks it's actually been really good to uh yeah get to know your connection to magical characters and stuff like that but I suppose one last thing we can talk about before we wrap things up for today, you actually got to do something really magical and something that not a lot of people get to actually experience. You got to be a Pokemon. 
was like, where's he going? Oh, yes, this? you got to be Diancy. <laughs> yes, I did. I did. I did. Diancy is like one of those really iconic characters. And everyone was thinking it was heralding the days of Gen 7. Like all the leaks were coming out saying, is this Pokemon going to be the start of Gen 7? No, it was a special Pokemon in for a specific movie. But how did you... Uh, how did you land that role? Because that's like, that's like one of the big things to get into Pokemon and especially being a Pokemon. Um, I, I was fortunate to have met uh, the director of the show at the time. And I also have known one of the producers who works, I believe he still works for the Pokemon company for about as long as I've been in anime. Um, Toshifumi Yoshida, uh, I've known him back. He used to work for, I think, Viz, and he worked on Inuyasha. That's when I first met him, I think, at the very first Yomacon, so 2005. Um, Or was that 2004? I don't even remember. Uh, I think 2005. Yeah. Anyway, um, so through conventions and making connections that way... um, you know, this the main cast of Pokemon and had already been set. So I knew that if I ever had a chance of being in Pokemon, it would either be suddenly there's a new show, um, but then probably I wouldn't be in it because Pokemon is done in New York and I don't live there. And uh, they're just, I don't know, that they, they don't really use out-of-town talent, um, which I totally get as a director in Texas. I completely understand how it can mess with your schedule and et cetera. So I'm like, well, maybe there'll be a movie someday. But I didn't really hang my hopes on it. It was just a, hey, if that happened, that would be cool. And out of the blue, I get a call from uh, from Tom and uh, or an email maybe. And he says, hey, we've got this movie coming up and there's this character I think you'd be great for. Uh, I still had to audition. However, it was not a given it was me. I don't know who I was auditioning against, but he sent me the sides and some instructions and I gave my best shot. And then he gave me some notes like, can you make this change and this change? I said, OK. So then I auditioned a second time. I guess it was kind of like a callback. And uh, and then I got it. And I was like, wow, amazing. And um I went uh, up to New York and we recorded the movie in maybe uh, two sessions. It's like a day, a day and a half or so. And uh, and that was that. When did you actually get to see a, an example of the image of Diancy? Was it something that you only found out later on or was it something that you saw immediately upon being uh, offered an audition? I thought that she was so cute and I really liked all the the pink. And so I was just, you know, summoning up other pink characters in my mind just to, to give me inspiration for her. Uh, and and the, the princess aspect, I was all about that. I'm like, OK, I get it princess okay so it was the the cute the small she's also a princess it was just helping me make some decisions about where to place the voice um she's adorable she's the cutest little rock yeah i mean if you have if you have to be a pokemon who wouldn't want to be like a fairy rock princess come on now who's like who's got diamonds for hair like there's not a better Pokemon. I would say, you know, with like a rock princess, that's metal as hell, but Diancie's not a steel type. <laughs> no, that's true. Yeah, all that remains to be said is thank you so much, Caitlin, for joining us on the podcast today. You're so welcome. It's been my pleasure. Before we head back down to Earth, uh, can we have some examples of where 
any listeners might be able to find you should they wish to experience more of Caitlin Glass? So I'm pretty active on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, I do also have a YouTube channel, but there's just very random stuff on there. Certainly enough random things to keep you occupied, but not I don't post there on, on the regular. My uh, handle or screen name for all of those things is Caitlin's Voice, C-A-I-T-L-I-N-S Voice, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. I do have a Facebook. I never use it, so don't bother. Um, (laughs) Every time there's a new episode of Fruits Basket that airs in English, um, we'll do a watch along on my Instagram live that night, usually Monday nights. So keep an eye on Instagram to find out if an episode is airing or not. And um, those are that's where you can find me. Well, absolutely brilliant. And the fact that you do those watch alongs, uh, that's really great because it's so different from a typical reaction video because watch alongs are basically like, hey, you know, get this thing up on your screen or whatever and just watch it with me. Like we're basically on the same couch. Yeah, we're, we're just hanging out together. It's much more chummy, which is exactly what we want to do here up on the lookout. So once again, Caitlin, thank you very much for your time. Absolutely. Anytime. And thank you so much, everybody, for listening. If this is something that you've been enjoying and wish to experience more of, you can check out our previous episodes with many interviews as well as reviews relating to Dragon Ball. And we'd also appreciate a rate and review on your respective podcasting platforms. It really does help the show grow. And if you wish to become a caretaker of The Lookout and get your name listed on the podcast, you can go to masico.cc slash lookout. But all that remains to be said is thank you once again for listening. And until the next time, stay safe everybody and take care. Ta-ra!